family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Certified sports host. This is Tim and Friends in Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360. If you're PVRing the show on the regular, make sure that you do it on 360 at the full Monty. Because on days like today, we are the full two hours in Sportsnet 360, 90 minutes on Sportsnet before handing it off to Jamie and Arden and Ben. Yes. Ben Nicholson-Smith and Arden Swelling joining Jamie Campbell on Blue Jays Central ahead of what feels like a must-win series for the Jays. Oakland in the sixth to do battle with the Bluebirds. I'm so reticent to say the words must-win when it actually isn't must-win, but I feel, Jesse, like baseball is different. Like, eventually you just run out of runway, and the Jays are close to that point. Yeah, who cares about the mathematical elimination? Like, once right. you get to a certain point, you're done. You're done. You're, it's September. Like, that's the reality. Go time. 100%. You don't take two or three, this could be jammed on. I agree. Uh, Dan Schulman popping by. We'll see if he agrees as well. And call it a football Friday around here. You'll probably do that from now until January. Labor Day on the horizon means it's go time for teachers, students, and football fans of all varieties. That's right. Big weekend of college football. The CFL classics are coming, and the NFL less than a week away from kicking off. Can you tell I'm a little excited? I'm almost, that wasn't me, that was Jesse that made that noise, by the way. I'm almost <laughs> as excited as this dad watching his child graduate. Appears in style. (laughs) Hold on, he's confirmed a father of one of the person who graduated, right? Because you know, you can get planted now these days. It could be a plant, you know. I made an assumption there, Jesse, that I may be wrong on, but I'm more than willing to be wrong on. Because you know they do it at arenas now. They do it with the ushers, and the ushers are just kind of planted. I know that they do this with fans. I'm just saying. At professional sporting events. At graduations, they do that. Everyone just wants to go viral (laughs) these days. They're willing to do anything. So, I mean, hopefully it was uh, genuine. I know that you've become a professional dancer, so would you, like, hire yourself out for uh, graduation ceremonies? Well, I mean, he has the benefit of being able to stand up and dance. Like, I, I just, I'm just sitting here like this. Oh, so it would be different. If I'm more restricted than him. Like he, like, he had the stairs, to, he had the rail, like, he had everything. Like, why can't you stand? I choose not to, I guess. <laughs> I just, like, halfway through, I was like, well, what am I gonna we do? were bowling in the studio <laughs> yesterday, and now you're telling me you can't stand. Well, I'm not going to be standing when the camera, is, the only time I dance is the opening. When the camera pans, and I'm not going to be standing during that time. That's just that's just weird. Get up. Maybe I'll do. No, I'm not dancing now. No, I'm not going to ask you to dance, but you can get up at any time. Okay. You're still in the shot, even though we only have one right. camera person, and Dagan is back. Oh no. Oh, look out. Sixero would get up. Sid would get up. Sid. <laughs> Sid. Sid, would, Sid would get up. So maybe we'll tweet in a video now. Just All right, Sixero, if you're watching and you want to dance for Jesse's dead, please do. 
All right, in order to help uh, you get ready for this football weekend, for this football frenzy that we are about to saunter into, former NFL MVP Rich Gannon dropping by for our AFC West preview, and Tim and Friends MVP Nate Burleson also dropping by. We'll ask him, who's the best receiver in the game? We'll also ask uh, the best receiver on our roster, at least until Michael Irvin joins us again. Don't tell Nate I said that. I'm playing He's, he's our forever. He's our forever receiver and also our favorite return man. All right, kids. That'll about do it. Uh, both kinds of football will be evident on today's show, oblong and round, as Canada tries to qualify for the World Cup in 2022. Three games, seven days, starting last night. We'll tell you what happened and what to expect. Sunday in Nashville, it's Tim and Friends for a Friday, best of the week, and then it's Saturday, Sunday. It's Friday then. Mm. It's Saturday, Sunday. So let's kick off the festivities. Jesse, Biggie, first things first. First things first. First. A lot of hockey fans around North America and the world are dancing today. Because there's some pretty big news. The NHL players are heading back to to the Olympics. They got the guts to dance. Oh, yeah. At least that's the plan. Uh, The league (laughs) and PA reached an agreement with the IIHF and IOC today, allowing NHLers to go to Beijing in February after they skipped the 2018 games in Pyeongchang. The league and the players have the ability to withdraw if COVID circumstances change for the worst. Hopefully they don't. Who are the big winners in this big decision, Tim? Knock on that wood, my mm-hmm. friend. Hopefully they don't. I saw you over there. Yeah, it's glass here, but oh yeah, I guess wood's there. All right, there it is. Yeah. I'm not supposed to show me cheating over there. Uh, <laughs> listen, this is going to be played out like the players got their wish, that the league listened to their constituency and their fans and got this done. But I never had any doubt because it was China. I know everyone wants to play this geopolitical game with China. And I get it and understand it to a certain extent, but the NHL is a money-making enterprise. And they've reached limits in certain areas. Jesse, where is the biggest growth market for North American professional sports? That would be Asia. It's the same place the EPL found it. It would be Asia. It would be China. And this will be played off like the players got their wish. But outside some negotiations between the NHL and the IOC, the league was always going to China. And apparently, even in a pandemic, even with diplomatic tensions, why? The answer is quite simple. Randy Moss, straight cash, homie. Nice. That's where we're at. Yep. And I listen, I get it. The players want to go. I understand it. There are certain situations around it. As soon as they announce China, like, I mean, you think they're going to Italy next? Do you think after this Chinese Winter Olympics, do you think that the NHL players will be going to Italy? I think the NHL players will want to continue this for as long as they possibly can, but it's basically a decision that the league will have to make. I think the league makes a decision based on cash, and they really like for the IOC to start ponying up some money for sending their best players, but it seems like the IOC is intent on making this as cheap as possible. Like, it has to work economically for the NHL because the fact is they are stopping their season in the middle of the season. Like the way this is going to work when they go to Beijing is there's going to be the All-Star weekend. Crazy. And then the next day, whoever's at the All-Star game is going to get on a jet, go to Beijing, and play a couple days later. So, um, 
that's going to be difficult for the players. And it's basically the NHL needs to be able to see that the economics are worth it because they are stopping their league right in the middle of February. So that's tough. For those who don't know, NHL All-Star Weekend, Vegas, February 4th and 5th. Olympic tournament begins February 9th yeah. in China. Yes. That's good luck to them. Uh, I think I think this is one where everyone was on board. For those who missed this, uh, Connor McDavid, there's a bunch of guys who have never played mm-hmm. in the Olympics. Connor McDavid's one of them, and it's obvious he, he's one of the ones that wanted to go. Well, I think for any Canadian kid growing up playing the game, you want to play in the NHL, you want to win a Stanley Cup, and then you know, right there next on the list is, is representing your country at the Olympics and, and winning a gold medal. So uh, I'm certainly no different there. That's uh, That would be a, a massive dream come true to, to represent my country. CJ Chris Johnson, friend of the show. Uh, players will need to be fully vaccinated, keep tight bubbles while in Beijing and won't be covered by COVID insurance and likely can't bring guests. So Yikes. I hope the players really want to go because it seems like just like the NHL's COVID protocols, the NHL at the Olympics COVID protocols are going to be tight. For those who missed uh, the COVID protocols in the National Hockey League, um, Elliot Friedman started tweeting, and man, are there some interesting things in and among them. Teams can suspend unvaccinated players who are unable to participate in team activities, including travel, which might be Mm -hmm. the case for many, and won't have to pay unvaccinated players who test positive if they can prove the player failed to comply with protocols. What we got from the NHL, Jesse, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is as close to a mandatory vaccination policy as you can get without having a mandatory vaccination policy. Yeah, even if you're considered to be a high-risk contact of someone who tested positive and then you can't travel and you're unvaccinated, the team can withhold your paycheck. Right. So this so is, if you and your wife aren't vaccinated, yeah. your wife happens to get it, and this you're is, not vaccinated, Yes, this is as tough. This is as tough as any of the other leagues as well. Now, um, I should point out that about two weeks ago, or a week ago even, the numbers for vaccinations in the NHL was hovering around 85%. Mm-hmm. And the most recent updates say it's closer now to 95%. Okay. I saw so, that it was the lowest among the top yeah. four leagues. And that was before yesterday's release of these COVID protocols. So you would think yeah, even some more. unvaccinated players who look at this and say, well, this is really going to make my life difficult. Maybe we'll end up getting vaccinated because of that. Yeah, this is it, kids. Get used to it. The smartest people in the world who study these things for a living are saying that this is our way to get out of this. And all of the biggest money-making institutions yep. in the world are agreeing with them, the NHL being one of them. This is the wave of the future. And frankly, listen, I understand social media peddles in uh, the anti-establishment or the anti-anything. But let's be honest. Just look at the vaccination numbers in this country. Like, it is a vocal minority, right? Like, we're talking about, what, right now, three of four able to get vaccinated? 75% or more are vaccinated in this country if you're able to? It seems like when you turn on social media or the news or all these, everyone's focusing on the few that aren't when it's quite obvious that there is a majority who believes in it. I mean, you go on social media, you probably think the entire country world. isn't vaccinated. Right. The whole world isn't vaccinated. Well, the, I was going to say the world is burning. Yeah, like You turn exactly. on social media and it looks like the world That's is... That's just the they way They call it, it doom scrolling for a reason. Yes, exactly. Uh, we will have some 
Canadian roster projections, perhaps, a little Ooh. bit later in the show. But we don't want to get into that right now because we have other things to talk about. And first things first, including a pretty important soccer match that we did a job of hyping up yesterday. And some might say it was a little bit of a letdown for the Canadians. Played to a 1-1 draw with Honduras last night in Toronto in their opening match of the final round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Both goals were scored on penalties. Penalties with Honduras taking a 1-0 lead in the 40th minute. Kyle Lahren tying it for Canada in the 66th minute. Expectations never been higher for the Canadian men's team. We just talked about this being the most talented roster this side's ever had. Were you satisfied with last night's result, Timmy? I know you were there. No, not really. I'm going to be honest here, and, and here's why I wasn't. Was I was one of the ones that was... Um, feeding into the expectations and I felt like it was a little bit of a letdown mm. because you really needed those three points at home because going on the road to Honduras is not going to be easy as evidenced by the last time we played a big game in Honduras yep. and lost 8-1. Going to Panama, going to El Salvador, going to Costa Rica, all these places are going to be remarkably hard to go get your three points. And the Canadian team had an opportunity Last night, where it looked like early, they were dominating play, and then they got dragged into the Honduran game. And for me, this is not only a little bit of a letdown, uh, not only unsatisfying, but to me, this was a wonderful learning experience for a young team that got concacaf and I'm not just talking about the official handing what looked like a penalty from that angle. I was there live, and I thought that the Honduran initiated contact with Tejon Buchanan to end up getting that call. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about how the Hondurans, very experienced, understood that they were probably out-talented last night on the pitch, and they decided we're going down, we're staying down, we're acting, we're trying to get under people's skin. They got under people's skin. The coach got into it with Steven Estacchio. Yeah. Like everywhere you turn, this was pure CONCACAF. We're dragging you down to our level. And the Canadians fell for it. I thought they had more talent on the field and they allowed themselves to get into it. That, along with... The odd move to take Alfonso Davies, who was tearing up the left side early, and put him on the right side, and he basically didn't touch the ball for about 20 yeah. to 30 minutes, uh, were the two things that stood in the way of Canada getting three points. But, but, despite being CONCACAF, learn, take it forward. It won't be the same in Nashville. No. It'll be a tough spot on Sunday, but it won't be the same in Nashville. What I'm talking about is those classic CONCACAF, very experienced countries that know how to get their points and I thought the Hondurans did a wonderful job yesterday of taking points that maybe they didn't deserve based on the run of play were you encouraged by what you saw in the second half I know the overall possession numbers at John the end of the match percent yeah. so he he said basically it's a marathon not a sprint we wanted the three points but I thought our team came together at halftime and then in the second half we kind of responded got over the the conca-caffing, as you put it, a little bit in. If, if they learned. Yes. If, if they take that, that learning process, of course. And this is how you, I mean, this is how you're going to learn. And it's easier to do that in Toronto mm -hmm. than it will be in San Pedro Sula. Yeah. Like, 
this is an easier lesson to learn here. And to be honest with you, they got away with it a little bit because the United States drew with El Salvador, yeah. nil-nil. That's three points that many thought the United States would get. Uh, Panama and Costa Rica also drew nil-nil. Uh, Mexico needed a late goal to get past. I think Jamaica is going to be the one team that's going to – listen, I think Costa Rica, I think Jamaica, I think Canada and Honduras are the ones battling it out here. And I think Jamaica is going to be a little bit better. So Canada's got to steal some points. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't do that last night. Still a long runway, but I think more pressure with every match that you don't get three points. They got 14. On your home pitch. You got, oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. Home, home pitch, get those three points. So here's the rest of the window for Canada. Sunday, they get the States, as mentioned, in Nashville. Then it's El Salvador on Wednesday back at BMO. This is the first of five windows scheduled for October November, January, and March. 14 games in all. They've played just the one. And yes, Canada will be playing at home in November and January. Where? Yet to be determined. But Mexico in Canada on November 16th? I say put them in Edmonton, Jesse. Yeah. Throw them to Alfonso Davies' hometown. Throw them to Edmonton and pack Commonwealth. Love it. Uh, okay, let's move on to the Toronto Blue Jays because we mentioned... Off the top, yes. pretty important series here with the Oakland A's. It's Manaya and Manoa. Hey. As they open a big series against the A's tonight at Rogers Center. The Jays currently Manaya, five Manoa. games back of Manoa, the Red Manaya. Sox for the second wild card spot in the AL, while the A's are just two games back of Boston. It's the first time the Jays and A's have met since early May. How do you think they stack up in this big one? I think, uh, I think Ben Nicholson-Smith said it to us that the Jays are better on paper, but yeah. this is just like Canada. Very similar, where a young team is going up against a little bit more veteran squad. Like this A's team are very patient. They will grind you out. Uh, saw the numbers earlier. Uh, pitches seen per plate appearance. Matt Chapman, number one in the American League. Mark Canna, number two. Matt Olson, number 14. Like they will grind you. They will wait you out. And it'll be really interesting to see how a kid like Manoa reacts. He's been unbelievable. He'll just strike them all out. That's what he's been doing. <laughs> yeah, he's, been, he's been unbelievable. He has been one of, if not the best, rookie pitcher in the American League. A 315 ERA, a 106 whip. But it's a high-pressure spot for your 15th yeah. career start in what is basically a must-win series. I think that this is a real interesting... Sp I know there's a lot of Jays fans who either think that this is already done or don't want to put pressure on the kid. These are remarkable learning opportunities if you are open to it. And for Alec Manoa to go in this game and face a team that's going to try and wait him out, uh, I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm tuning in. Yeah, I think the, the strength of the A's team, similar to the Jays lately, has been their pitching. But Chris Bassett, you don't know when yep. he's going to come back. Manaya, his numbers are a little bit, you saw, with 397 ERA. That's been a little bit deceiving. He hasn't been good over the last little months. The Jays have an opportunity here to take advantage of a team and a pitcher specifically that's struggling a little bit. Yeah, a little weird with the A's, right? They've won four or five coming in. Yeah. But that came after a little bit of a losing yes, streak, exactly. a 3-11 and stretch. Uh, have they gotten over that 3-11 and stretch? Or are they still... Uh, banged up and struggling a little bit. But, hey, it lines up. Mano you saw it. Manoa, Barrios, Ray. There you go, Jace. There you you go. got the opportunity. It's right in front of you. You could, you could run past them. There you go. Have our takes. Uh, Dan Schulman will be 
along a little bit later. You'll hear what he has to say yeah. about a big series for the Jays. Okay, Labor Day weekend, always a big one in the CFL. The Week 5 schedule begins tonight with the Owls and Red Blacks in Ottawa. The Bombers and Riders will battle for first in the West on Sunday. That's a huge tilt. And, of course, the Labor Day Classics on Monday. What stood out to you from the first four weeks of the season? The first, oh, you're giving me the first. I mean, besides the Riders... Yeah. Besides Saskatchewan Rough Riders getting off to a good start, I think we're going to see uh, a lot of parity this year in the CFL. I think we're going to see teams uh, find their sea legs. Just look at the Eastern Conference or the Eastern Division. It's all bottled up, one and two, two and one. And I don't know if the Argos can hang on to where they're at. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Uh, one of the things that you and I talked about very early was my lack of surprise at how the offenses were struggling yes. with no camps and no season last year. And the average points per game in the CFL at this point in the season, it's over 11. Like, there are 11 points per game less than they were yeah. in 2019. That's the comparison. And it's significant. So the under being 12 and 3 is wonderful for all the bidders, but I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing that the books have adjusted as of yet. And I think some of that has to do with some, some injuries at quarterback. And listen, four of the nine teams in the CFL have already moved on to a second quarterback. And I think that's just a wave of the future in both the CFL, the NFL. Players are getting bigger, stronger, and faster. The, the size of the field is staying the same. Uh, this has been the past in the CFL. This is probably the future everywhere. Yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the lack of scoring and the lack of training camps. Maybe the fact that over 30% of the players in CFL are new to the CFL maybe has something to do with it, too. Yeah, I saw Dave Naylor write yeah. a great article about all of this stuff, yeah. and it all kind of... I know I shouldn't be advertising for the uh, for the other side, but he kind of listed a lot of this stuff that we're talking about right now, and I was all over this low scoring, and I should have been all over the under early <laughs> in the CFL season. Still time. But I wasn't thinking, no, they're adjusted, man. For sure they're adjusted. I should have bet all the under. All right, let's go overs three. now. We'll go overs moving forward. Yeah, maybe. Uh, still to come, Dan Schillman from the Rogers Center. Jays open up a three-game series against the A's. Best of the week. Also coming up, Rich Gannon helps us tee up the AFC West as our divisional previews continue. And up next, six days before the six days before the NFL season opener. Our NFL analyst, all around awesome guy, Nate Burleson, joins us next. Tim and friends on a Friday. Let's go, kids. One, two, three strikes around at the old The Buccaneers have beaten the defending champion Chiefs 31 to 9. This was a dominating performance across the board. Here's the forecast. As we go through the day tomorrow, yes, Storm is in the building, getting some treats, walking on thin air. 24 degrees. We are family. You know how much I love you. We go way back. Um, I've you always appreciated that head once. Of course. That, yeah. and, that, and, that, and that makes That's... us closer than blood, yeah. straight up and down. Phil McCracken. Phil McCracken. I got no idea how we keep getting this dude, but I'm not asking questions. Freshly minted co-host CBS this morning making his debut on September 7th, a day after Labor Day fitting.
because my dude puts in work. Ladies and gentlemen, born in the 403, apparently raised by hard work. It's our old friend, Nate Burleson. What up, Nate? What's up, baby? How you doing? I'm digging that blazer. I like the plaid and that, and that little uh, that little handkerchief right there. Nice little subtle touch, man. And the I, frames, always money. Listen, uh, when you're this ugly, you better dress well. So that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> See, you're always fishing for compliments. I'm no, supposed to follow up and no. say, no, 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 no. Tim, I know. I'm a, I'm a realist. I know. I, I grew up youngest of four boys. We did not hold back. Like, I'm good. <laughs> We're good. I want to uh, say I watched your episode or your final episode of GMFB with the one with you. Yeah. On. Like, I love what y'all built in that community. It's always what I hope this thing is. No real question. Just admiration. I love that you guys. The way you finished was class. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. You you went, you went kind of, you're raised watching different shows. And when there's the season finale or the series finale, it gets a little bit emotional. I would have never thought in a million years I'd be part of a sports show and my send-off would get that emotional, <laughs> yeah. getting all choked up, tears in my eyes. But that just shows you the love and the camaraderie over the last five years. No doubt. I know the feeling as well. I didn't think I would get choked up either. I did, but we also finished with a bottle of Remy, so that was our way of making those tears <laughs> go away. Uh, for all of our Nate fans, CBS this morning, starting September 7th, saw a quote that I loved and all the press that you're doing right now, which is why you're on the move, but always safe with the safety belt on. The quote was, I've always felt like sacrifice is a small cost to pay for achieving my wildest dreams. That's dope and remarkably true. Yeah, it, it really is, man. And uh, this position that I'm in, you know, people look at it and say, well, one, Nate deserves to be in that spot. But then there's other people that say, well, has he worked to get there? And there's a lot of work put in behind the scenes, not just over the last seven years of rooting the family, moving to New York, um, working multiple jobs, I'm juggling five jobs for the last three years. But even prior to that, during my career, um, I would fly myself to Los Angeles. I would meet with producers and execs. Um, oftentimes, they wouldn't pay me at all because they had this um, motto, if you're playing, then we're not paying. So I would just uh, be in the studio trying to learn. So since 2003, I would say consistently, I've been going into some type of studio in the offseason. So by the time my career was over, I knew that I had some relationships established that would help me transition into the media space. And then once I got in, you know how it is, Tim. You got to put your head down and work. You got to yeah. outwork some of your peers, and you got to outwork some of your mentors, people that you look up to, just to prove your versatility. And finally, um, a door is open. A door is open of this magnitude, where I'm, I'm talking to the world. Right. You know, and people are deciding to wake up with Gail, Tony, and I, and we're giving them not just sports, what's what I've been doing, but news, worldly news. Uh, for those who, who aren't quick on the math, uh, this overnight sensation is 18 years in the making. <laughs> All right. All right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. See, that's what I'm talking yes, about. Yes. There you go. Uh, let's talk some ball. I, this is a crazy opening weekend for college ball. Bama, Miami, Penn State, Wisconsin, among other. Like, is this where you draw the line, or can you possibly take that in, too? Like, there's no way that you can do college ball, too, can you? No, but I thought about it, though. You, you <laughs> no, know what I, I seriously thought about? I wanted to be um, like my era, Ahmad Rashad. So I, I wanted to do basketball. I wanted to do the NBA. Right. I was really close to signing a deal um, a couple of years ago just to do a few shows of NCAA basketball. Um, but you know what? My mom told me, 
don't outwork yourself. Um, yeah. Just outwork your competition. So uh, I, I found my sweet spot, and I'll let all of the great college analysts and hosts uh, handle that. Nice. That's that's what I miss most. Like Saturday is my family day, and I was a huge college basketball, college football dude, and it's just it's kind of fallen by the wayside because. That's family time. Saturday's my family. All right, let me hit you with wheelhouse here. And right in your got? wheelhouse. Let's go. Who's the best receiver in the game right now? Nate Burleson, the dude who used to catch the ball for a living. Who's the best receiver in the All game? All right, I'll, right? I'll, go with, I'll go with Stephon Diggs. I, right. I feel like Stephon Diggs is the best quarterback, I mean, the best receiver, best young quarterback in the ball. Now, when it comes to... Uh, hands, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins, but I, I I believe that Stephon Diggs is the best overall wide receiver in the NFL. How hard is that to go from one team to another and then just pick up, not even pick up where you left off, like advance, like he took his game to another level first year with the team. Yeah, and you know what? It was it was weird because when he was traded, you know, people were really questioning if he still had it. You know, it was it's almost like. Well, if he's that good, then why are the Vikings trading him? So I think there was a little bit of motivation in that. And also, when he got traded, they drafted Justin Jefferson, who is no slouch. No. So it wasn't just motivation when he got traded, but I'm pretty sure week in and week out, he was like, yo, for damn sure, I got to beat out this young dude, Justin Jefferson, who is talented and prove that, one, the Vikings should have kept me, and that, two, the Bills are going to be the recipients of this evolution of my career and he is a beast man he can do it all outside inside great hands strong when he catches the rock and yards after catch to me he's just the complete wideout. let me ask you as a guy that played the position how much does team I feel like receivers um, though they feel like at times they're on an island if you're on a good offense with a good quarterback even a guy on the other side that can draw some attention away from you or a tight end that can draw, like all of those things, the ability to run the ball can help you do your job. 100%. You know, at, at certain points in my career, I wanted to have the best running game rather than having the best quarterback and group of wide receivers. When I was young playing next to Randy Moss, I thought to myself, all right, as long as I got a good wide out and a good quarterback, I can torch secondary corners right. and and nickel backs that are young or, or they just are not good enough to guard me. Uh, but then when I got older, I realized how much a running game helps good wide receivers. I mean, just think about, uh, let's just throw Devontae Adams out there. You have yeah. Aaron Jones, who is one of the better running backs in the business, but it takes so much pressure off of the passing game when defenses have to load the box. The best thing a wideout can see is a safety with his eyes in the backfield, linebackers peeking at the running back, yeah. and you one-on-one -on -one with the DB. That's why I'm looking at the Tennessee Titans. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, you know they're going to see a lot of single coverage because Derrick Henry is in the backfield and he's a monster. All right, let me hot take this best receiver, and I phrased it, on, I phrased it receiver on purpose. Could Travis okay. Kelsey be the best receiver in the game? Yeah. Yeah, because I... I I look at the wide receiver position and how it has evolved. It's not about being a wide out that's out wide and you're 6'1", 195 pounds. Nah, if you're a pass catcher, you're a receiver. So in that conversation, you could put in Travis Kelsey. You could put in George Kittle. Yeah. And we'll see how, how good Kyle Pitts is going to be in Atlanta. But, you know, nowadays you're just a, a pass catcher because let's just call it what it is. There's certain running backs in the game 
that when they get busy in the pass game, they're the best receivers in football. There were certain times last year where Alvin Kamara was the best receiver in football, yeah. depending on the game and how much they throw on the ball. There are certain games when Christian McCaffrey is the best receiver in football, depending on how they use him. If they motion him, put him in the slot, he'll run routes just like a wideout. So, yeah, if you're a pass catcher, I put you in that category. Kamara, 83 catches from the backfield is absolutely ridiculous. All right, so a lot of people are doing their pool over the next little while. What player, quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, I don't care. What player do you think could be on the verge of something big? And caveat here, you you won't remember this because you work too hard. I remember everything because this is all I do. (laughs) We had a chat. Lamar Jackson pre-MVP year. So there is some weight that comes with this answer, Nate Burleson. <laughs> All right, so um, I'll give you two. And uh, ironically, they're both in the NFC West. DK Metcalf is on the verge of being the best receiver in all of football. Um, he is literally just scratching the surface on his career. And we're familiar with the size. You know, we know what he looks like when he's flexing his muscles. But this dude is a route runner. To be that big, that fast, that strong, and then to work year in and year out at being a really good route runner, I can only imagine when they start moving him in the slot and he starts torching smaller DBs, it's going to look like child's play. I remember when Calvin Johnson made that transition from being an outside receiver to him lining up in the slot and really condensing his size, going from 6'4", 6'5", to lining up and, and getting low and bursting off the line of scrimmage and just dominating the middle of the field. Um, Larry Fitzgerald did that towards the end of his career. That really takes a big receiver to another level. And then another guy, Trey Lance. I don't know what it is. Now, I know yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy, but I just feel like as soon as Trey Lance gets on the field, the combination of his athletic ability, um, he's like a bigger Kaepernick, his strong arm, and then more importantly, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is one of the best offensive minds in the business, and he's going to have that offense rolling with that young quarterback. Is that the new high? Like, I mean, we've, I feel like we've gone through an evolution. And remember, uh, like you, we grew up in the CFL where Warren Moon had to come here, play six years, and look ridiculous. I, I watch quarterbacks, and I think, like, if I just just pure excitement, give me Cam Newton in his prime every day. But I don't know if we're going to see that guy anymore because it's so hard to stay healthy. And we've kind of morphed into this Mahomes-ish, high, the Russell Wilson-ish hybrid of runner who can still be precision passer. Is that the new quarterback in the NFL? No doubt about it, which makes uh, what Tom Brady is doing at his age (laughs) even that much more impressive. Like, the dude is in his mid-40s. He has never, I repeat, never been a threat to run in his career. (laughs) Tom Brady is slow. He's not just slow. He's slow, slow. Like, Tom Brady's 40 time. His 40 time is forever. Like, that's how (laughs) slow it is. But yet and still, in the pocket, he surgically picks apart defenses. But you're right, though. When it comes to these hybrid quarterbacks, They want the athletic one, but they don't want the athletic one that is reckless with his body and can't throw. That's why when you look at Lamar Jackson, he shut a lot of people up. How many times did people say, well, he's a running quarterback. He's going to take that one big shot and he's going to go down. He's not going to be back in the game. You know what? He's not that good of a thrower. Lamar Jackson has proven that one, he can't throw the ball. And two, just look at the highlights right now. You let me know when he's taking that big hit. Okay, (laughs) here he is escaping the Escaping the Chiefs, makes one guy miss, two guys miss, three guys miss. Did he take a big shot right there? He made three guys miss in one play. Didn't take a big shot right there. 
four guys miss. You literally see dudes on the ground like he's an and one mixtape basketball player. <laughs> yeah. Once again, running through another defense, he doesn't take those big shots. So, yeah, there's an evolution of the quarterback position. But you know what? With the way that the league is starting to take care of quarterbacks, which means there's not a lot of illegal shots happening. And two, these QBs being a lot smarter. Like, what is the point of me fighting for a few extra yards yeah. if I can save my legs, slide, or go out of bounds? These running quarterbacks, these more athletic quarterbacks, are smarter about how they treat their body when they're out on the field. Is Lamar hot sauce or the professor? <laughs> I would say he's hot sauce. Hot sizzle, oh baby, my godson. <laughs> my god, yes. Yes, all right, one last one because there's a lot of Bills fans in these parts and in Canada. Yeah. Where does Josh Allen fit into that mix? Because I know we tend to do this thing with the color of the skin based on how athletic the quarterback is, but Josh Allen's in the same, uh, the same mix as what we're talking about here. Yeah, no doubt about it. Back in the day, Josh Allen would have been moved to the other side of the ball, put some weight on him, and he would have turned into J.J. Watt. Yeah. But, you know, what I do know about Josh Allen, he's making better decisions with his body. You remember when he first got in the league, dude was trying to run over linebackers, hurdle over safeties, and he was doing it. But I think somebody whispered in there, like, hey, yo, we need you to stick around. And on top of that, you'll make $300 million if you stay healthy. <laughs> so Josh Allen is a beast, man. He, he made it in the top ten. And it looks like the respect he's getting from his peers is something that, um, you know, he, he had truly worked hard for. Doesn't matter where we catch up with you, the car, the house, uh, the set. We appreciate you, and we'll be watching you September 7th, CBS This Morning. Nate Burleson, appreciate it, dude. Appreciate you, T-Money. Nate Burleson. Should I take T-Money and run with it? I like it personally. After the break. T-Money will bring you the best of the week. I got to call you that, though. I have to call you that. Oh, okay. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Time now for the best of the week. Here's how it works. We comb through the internet for the best of the best. The clips of the week that we bring to you. Show you the options. You head over to Twitter, at our account, at Tim and Friends, to vote on your favorite. Nominee number one. This past weekend's Formula One race in Belgium, uh, didn't exactly have all the excitement of a regular race. Heavy rain, they completed two laps, and those two laps were behind a safety. I don't even know why they did the a entire farce. thing. A it, was, farce. it was farcical. Yes. That is correct, Jesse. It was a farce and or farcical. But that doesn't mean that there weren't some entertaining moments. Specifically, Lewis Hamilton talking to his pit crew about a deuce gone wrong. Glad I went to the toilet. The one I went to, someone had dropped a crazy bomb in there. It was the worst thing ever. The pros and cons this. It's gonna haunt me for life. <laughs> it's gonna haunt. I just leave my helmet on. This, yeah. <laughs> the silence is what gets me too. It's just the transmission of the radio, but it's just perfect. Silence. It's gonna haunt me forever. You know that uh, there's like in those massive helmets, there are air purification systems. Didn't know that. Uh, early pandemic, did you ever see anyone leave their helmet on in grocery stores? <laughs> no. I did a couple times. It's wonderful. Look at it's you. Like, what, I mean, you say you're not that resident F1 expert. You know there's air purification inside the F1 helmets. Yeah. Well, Maybe gotta, you are an F1 you gotta expert. You got to breathe somehow. That's All right. Uh, winning a gold medal has to be one of the more memorable moments of any career in professional hockey. 
the thrill and the stress of a tournament culminating with being crowned champions, your country cheering you on, at home memorable enough for our women's squad, but Blair Turnbull, well, she took it to a legendary level. Blair Turnbull looks like she's hurt on the other side in the celebration. What a celebration for Team Canada. And we hope Blair Turnbull's all right. I think that was in the celebration. Here she comes. Look at her. Director of Hockey Operations. <laughs> she says it's so embarrassing. Yeah, but she doesn't it's care. Not it's not embarrassing, Blair. You will never forget this. Look at this. the smile. The, the pain she's probably in is Stop. gone right now with the euphoria of Stop. a gold medal. <laughs> Melody, that would hurt laughing. I don't know if I caught that shot the first time yeah. around. That was a broken fibula. Like, yes. I broke my fibula in high school really? hockey, and I did not laugh and chuckle and get embarrassed. Like, I was cussing like a sailor uh, at shore. It was I, unbelievable. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Worse I've had is a broken <laughs> pinky, but the amount of times that she said it's so embarrassing was just fantastic. <laughs> like, so entertaining, but hopefully she gets well soon. I believe it's a six to eight week Speedy injury. recovery. Yeah, six to eight week recovery period, is I believe what I saw. Yeah. I think so. Uh, hopefully she's okay for the Olympics. It's a smaller bone in the leg, so hopefully yeah. she'll be back. She is a doctor too, F1 expert and doctor. Well, I've had a few injuries along the T -Doc. way. But I think we're further along than when I did it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are less than a week away from the start of the 2021 NFL regular season. For many of you, it means it's fantasy football roster in order. Whether you've already completed your draft or are just getting started with your research, just remember. Your team can change in a moment's notice, as demonstrated by another legend. This time, Nick Newman of The Young and the Restless. Did you get an update? Yeah, Phyllis, I did. It's not good. It's not good at all. It's the worst case scenario. What are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just got to find some way. What did you hear? I, I can't even bring myself to say it. Please just tell me. Just tell me, please. It's a full Achilles tear. They don't even know if he's going to be ready week one next season. What are you going to do? I don't know. I don't have the running back depth to overcome this. What am I going to do? I don't know. You can make a trade. For what? My kicker? My roster is depleted. What about your waiver wire? No. It's over. Nick Newman says Achilles the same way I say Berrios instead of Berrios. Mm, Achilles. Achilles yeah, tear. Yeah, I thought that Achilles too. tear. It's, it's hard when you hear something like that. It's hard to pay attention the rest of the way because you're like, that, that can't be right. Get it? <laughs> Get it? I don't, I don't think yeah, that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Nick know. Newman's still the goat, though. The goat of soap operas. Well, Victor, Victor too. Victor yeah. Newman Sorry. is. Yeah. That Nick I'm might be a close one. Yeah, do not disrespect. My bad. Uh, our final nominee this week comes to us from, of all places, a school board meeting in Virginia where it was time for the public 
comment portion of the agenda. That's where someone, by virtue of these virtual meetings, was able to channel their inner Bart Simpson calling Moe's Tavern and pulled a prank on the unsuspecting board. Have a listen. I'm asking that you do not pass this policy in Virginia. Thank you so much, Ms. Thomas. We do appreciate you. Phil McCracken. <laughs> Phil McCracken. Eileen Dover. Eileen Dover. Come on, man. Wayne Kerr. <laughs> Wayne Kerr. Come on. I need a man to hug and kiss. Yeah. A man to hug and kiss. I feel like I'm the type of person that would, would get got like that. We, we yeah. cut like several that we weren't allowed to air yeah. because they were that far offside. <laughs> and my guy just kept reading them. Like he was doing Ben Stein's money. Bueller. Bueller. There's no way he was in on it, right? You think it's fake? No, I, I I don't think so. But again, this is like the second time I've had to address this in the show if, today. It is possible. If I was part of that gag, I probably would have chuckled. Yeah. Like, he just straight read. <laughs> He's a great actor. Right, He's in looking, on that. Just looking at those names and you think, like, <laughs> you think you're going to get through it. Pro- I don't know. Head over to Twitter, at Tim and Friends, vote, and we'll name him best of the week later. After the break, we head to the ballpark. Jays, three games back, the A starting A. Three game series, do the math. It's a big weekend. We'll discuss all things Jays. Dan Schulman from the Rogers Center next, right here in Tim and Friends, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Cheap Dogs back here, hour number two, Friday edition. Tim and friends getting you ready for the weekend. Still to come, Rich Gannon joins us at 6.30 Eastern as we preview the AFC West. That'll be on Sportsnet 360 only because we'll be sending you to Blue Jays Central at 6.30 on Sportsnet. That is where we start this hour with the Toronto Blue Jays. It'll be Manea. Oh, I already screwed it up. Manea versus Manoa. Manea, Manoa, Manoa, Manea. Got it good since you understood. They will open the series tonight on Sportsnet. The A's come in having won four or five after losing six straight. Jays trail open by three games in the standings while they are five back of Boston heading into the weekend. Here is the lineup that will take the field against Manea. Top five taking shape. Springer DHing again leading off. Simeon, Vladdy, Bichette, and Teoscar. Alejandro Kirk will be behind the plate tonight with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left, Randall Gishuk in center, Kevin Smith playing third base at the hot corner. Big series with time running out for the Jays, but Charlie Montoyo isn't worried, but is he ever really? Come on. There's plenty of baseball to go, you know, against teams that are ahead of us. So, yeah, I'm not going to put these three games like, oh, this is it, or, or winning two out of three, or, or whatever happens, this is not it yet. You know, we've got plenty of game 
games left. So, uh, but, of, but of course, from now on, we all know that every game counts. The glasses again, Jesse, you good with this? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> this is starting to I mean, annoy you, isn't it's, it? It's okay. They took two of three from the Orioles, but like, is it, I don't even know. Is it sunny? He's sitting in the dugout. I mean, maybe he's, maybe it's the, the lights it's from cool. the cameras hey, that are bothering him. Maybe. Uh, potentially. Maybe. You can see the shine of the yeah, lights. You can, the, the shine camera. of the lights. That, that doesn't look like a sunshine. That looks like a, a camera light shine. Not, not, a, uh, not a Sean Paul fan? Yes. Just give me the light. Yeah. Just yo, give yo. me the light. So many goes Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> Jays made a roster move today, adding the utility man Jake Lamb. Off waivers from the White Sox, played in 43 games this season, uh, mainly in the outfield, but a utility guy batting 212. Six home runs and 13 RBIs. All right, NHL players are heading back to the Olympics in February. Announced today the NHL and the PA coming to an agreement with the IIHF that will see NHL players play in the Olympics for the first time since 2014. Agreement does allow for the NHL to pull out should COVID conditions dictate. Now, players will need to be fully vaccinated and bubbled while there. The tournament will start February 9th a few days after NHL weekend. I wonder if some players will pass, Jesse, given the conditions. Uh, senators have signed Drake Batherson's six-year contract worth close to $30 million. Average annual value just under $5 million. The 23-year-old last year, 17 goals, 17 assists, playing all 56 games for the Sens. Here's Pierre Dorian on the deal. Feel that Drake is one of our most talented uh, forwards, one of our most talented players. Uh, he's a key component for us to be a, a great team moving forward. Um, we've seen a progression in his play. I think Drake is very happy for my conversation with him earlier today, and we as an organization here are very happy. And I think the, the biggest benefactor here are our fans that get to see him play for another six years. From the Sens to Canadians at Flushing Meadows, four Canadians still alive. At Bianca and Chapo won last night tonight. Layla Annie Fernandez will have her hands full. Third seed and reigning champ Naomi Osaka, while Felix Oje Aliassime will also play under the lights, taking on Roberto Batista Ogu. All right, here's the man of the hour, oh, too no. sweet to be sour, Stefano Tsitsipas. Oh, boy. And having to let it Tsitsipas several times throughout this tournament, taking on Carlos Alcaraz. First set, Tsitsipas down. 5-3 comes to the net for the volley. Appears to tweak something in his foot. He dropped the opening set. During the changeover, Tsitsipas calls for the trainer. Have a listen in. Let's have a listen to... Ladies and gentlemen, the trainer has been caught to court. Fans not sympathetic, so third set, we're in a tie break. Alcaraz closes it out. Two sets to one lead. Alcaraz over Tsitsipas. And then here we go. Ben Roethlisberger tweeting after the set. Ash crowd booing. Tsitsipas leaves for his bathroom break. This time, the officials guided Tsitsipas to the small bathroom right next to the court rather than letting him wander back to the locker room. Tsitsipas was back on the court in less than four minutes, down two sets to one. However, Tsitsipas comes back, wins the fourth set, six love. What is he doing in that bathroom, Jesse, that is allowing him to bounce back like he just did? Downs two sets to one, takes the fourth set, 
after letting it sit to pass and winning six love. It didn't look like he changed there, but I know that he sometimes changes clothes. He likes to refresh it, rejuvenates well, it. Well, he couldn't go bit. to the locker room. Couldn't go to the, he just could, yeah, a stall right by the court. It seems like they figured it out. Four minutes is shorter than eight minutes. That's <laughs> so a lot shorter. You're okay with four minutes. Yeah, but I mean, the, the trainer thing did not help his cause today. Like, he's, he's losing fans. Like, let's be frank. He's losing fans. He's, he's one of the more exciting players on tour. Good young player. Good yeah. young player. Was he third in this tournament? Mm. And he's losing fans. They are not happy with him. All right. Uh, I don't know if Dan Schulman needed a bathroom break before he, uh, he came. Uh, and t- no, he's already chuckling. We won't need a bathroom break, hopefully, uh, during this interview, <laughs> Danny. Um, unlike since the past, uh, you go before you need to do your work and stuff like that. You, you know, Tim, for years you've been trying to get me to, to slip up with something. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the high road, man. I'm, I'm, uh, okay. I'm not answering. Yeah. Let, let. Hey, I was, it was just the previous. I was trying to get some sort of segue, and yes, maybe I led you down a road that you didn't that's need a, to go. That's a tough segue. Yeah. I'll get uh, I'll get Lewis Hamilton in, and we'll try and segue with Lewis Hamilton a little later on. Uh, that's a deeper. Journey. All right, so this is a this is an important series. I know Charlie Montoyo um, can't really say, "Yeah, we need to win all three, or we need to take two or three, or we're done." That's not what a manager does. But I think the fans look at this and understand, and I am reticent to say must win until it's a must win, but this is pretty damn close to must win. Yeah, I think realistically they've got to take at least two out of three in the series for a couple of reasons. One is Oakland is one of the teams they're trying to catch, and the other is uh, if they lose two out of three, what are the chances they're gaining any ground on Boston? Obviously very slim. So uh, it is, you know, until the math says it's a must-win game, it's not a must-win game, but there are 30 left. There are three teams ahead of them. There are five back of the Red Sox. This is a, a big weekend series, obviously, and I think at a minimum they got to take two out of three against the A's. And because of that, it's a real interesting start for Alec Manoa, who has surpassed my expectations and most people's expectations of a kid walking into this lineup. It's kind of interesting. Interesting because you've got this kid who's had great success and you want him out there, but this is a, a, a veteran savvy A squad, isn't it? Uh, it really is. A lot of professional hitters, to use that phrase, yeah. a lot of guys who will take their walk, so his command has to be good. But I don't think Alec Manoa is going to go out there with an ounce of. I can't do this, or man, this is a big game. I'm not sure I'm up to this. He's not wired that way. We've talked about it ever since we did the first Zoom call with him whenever it was. None of it felt staged or put on. He is that confident, Uh, and he's been great. I was just looking just before we got on, looking at his 14 starts. He's allowed two earned runs or fewer in 11 of his 14 starts. He's been great. I think he's got a 3.15 ERA through basically almost half a season's worth of work, pitching in the American League East in different home ballparks, all of which uh, are hitter-friendly. He's been fantastic, and and I don't think there's any reason to expect him to do anything other than be really good again tonight. It's funny how that confidence can carry you. It it really is, and and you can kind of see, you know, you don't want to play amateur psychologist too much, but you can kind of see when one guy, some guys are putting it on a little bit, and some guys, that's just who they are. This is just who this guy is. And you can see it. All of us can see it when we call the games or watch the games. You know, look at him messing around with Robbie Ray or Hyunjin Ryu or Vladdy or anybody else in the dugout. Like, he was with the Blue Jays a week, and it felt like he'd been on the team for three years already. I mean, he's, yeah. he's seamlessly become one of the guys. 
Um, you know, listen, he got tossed out of a game early in his career, right? He's not afraid to speak his mind out there. Um, this is no, you know, shy guy. This is a big guy with a big personality, big confidence, and uh, I think it's serving him and the team very well. He's he's a guy they really count on right now. Okay, so obviously the starting pitching has been really good for the last little while. Uh, is the offense starting to warm up a bit? Can you carry something from Baltimore? Uh, do you know how they'll react after that series? Uh, I, I don't know that you can take that much out of it. I think they scored 14 runs, if I'm not mistaken, in three games against Baltimore. And 14 runs is okay. You know, 4.7 a game, it's okay. But Baltimore's the worst pitching team in baseball, 587 ERA on, on the season coming in. So I don't think they're, they're out of it yet. You know, Vladdy looks great, obviously. Um, Springer uh, hopefully is healthy enough that he can do his thing. The guy they, they really need to get going is a guy who's been so good until the last 12 days or so, and that's Teoscar Hernandez, right? When Teoscar is going, he's as good as anybody, and then, you know, where's your soft landing place in the top five of the lineup? Uh, Gurriel's been hot. That really helps. But it's really been Vladdy and Gurriel who have been the two hottest guys recently for the Blue Jays. So I, I, I don't think we've seen enough to say they're out of it, they're ready to erupt or anything like that. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen tonight. It can happen at any moment. And they're facing a guy in Sean Manaya who, although he's had really good stretches in his career, including starting in a wild card game, including a no-hitter three years ago, he's got an ERA of 990 his last five games. And maybe – this is a break for the Blue Jays. Frankie Montas, who's terrific, was supposed to start this game, but he's having visa issues. So the A's flip-flop Montas and Manaya started Montas yesterday against Detroit, sent him back to Oakland, and pushed Manaya back to start this game. So we'll see if that helps. Uh, 14 runs is correct, sir. Uh, and the George Springer uh, leading off but still DHing. Can we draw some conclusions that he's not quite 100%? Oh, he's definitely not 100%. If he were 100%, he'd be in center field. So uh, it, it might be something that he has to play through the rest of the year. Charlie said a couple of days ago that he's been told by the medical staff it's not something that Springer can aggravate. It's not something that can get worse. It's just he might feel it from time to time. You know, I he, he'll probably be a little bit closer to station to station rather than trying to take the extra base if given the opportunity, but if he hits the ball out of the ballpark, he can jog around the bases, and then that's what they need. They need a guy to ignite them at the top of the order like George Springer is capable of doing. I hope in three days, five days, seven days, whenever, they can start putting him in the in the outfield a little bit because him DHing every day restricts some of the things they like to do in terms of sliding other guys into the DH spot. But right now, if you can have him in the lineup, leading off and hopefully swinging the bat well, you're getting a lot of value out of him. All right, a couple of quick pieces of news. Uh, earlier today, we saw Ross Stripling throwing batting practice to Kevin Biggio. Both of those names feel like they could really help down the stretch. Any progression here that you're hearing of? Yes, so Ross Stripling, they are hoping that they will send him out soon to Buffalo for a rehab outing or two or three. Who knows? I would imagine uh, it would be in relief. They don't need a starting pitcher right now, although they do have a doubleheader. I think it's eight days from now against Baltimore, so I don't know if that's too soon for him to be ready, but it sounds like Stripling is getting close to going to Buffalo. I talked to Biggio today on the field. He did not swing the bat against Stripling. He just was there to track pitches and give Stripling a guy in the batter's box, but then he told me he wanted to go inside and hit off the tee a little bit or hit in the cage a little bit. He'd like to get going soon, and he's hoping to get going soon, so that would be good news as well. Again, it just gives them 
another option, a left-handed bat, a versatile guy. It's been a tough year for him, right? He's had three. Yeah. He's had the finger injuries and the neck and back injury and now the elbow injury. It's been about, you know, a really tough year for him for a guy who, as he told me today, literally has never been hurt before this year. Never. Crazy. Uh, college minors, majors. So, you know, he's dealing with it like we know he does, but he's hoping to get to Buffalo in a few days as well. Uh, one minute left in the clock. I'm not going to suggest that Jake Lamb is another reclamation project that uh, came from Arizona at least at one point and then turns into what Robbie Ray has turned into but the Jays claim from the White Sox today uh, is this just depth utility is that what we're doing here yeah uh, third base can play some first base left-handed bat uh, so he'll go to Buffalo he's on the 40-man roster he's not on the major league roster but he's on the 40-man roster he'll go to Buffalo and get a few games in I would imagine and, and with Biggio out and Espinal out they're using Valera and Kevin Smith at third base uh, so I, I would imagine if he goes down to Buffalo and has a few good days, we could see him on the roster pretty soon, maybe as a platoon third baseman. Again, his timing and Biggio's timing, we'll, you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but it's just another option at third base, and he can play a couple of other spots as well. All right. Uh, next time, absolutely no bathroom break talk. I promise. Uncle Timmy, <laughs> okay. pinkle, pinky swear. Appreciate you. Be well. Thank you. All right. See you, Tim. There is Dan Schulman at the yard. Again, Blue Jays Central coming up in mere moments from now. Time for a break, though. When we come back, we'll dive a little deeper into what the Canada hockey roster might look like in Beijing. Everyone's doing it today. It was announced the NHLers will take part. And we'll get you to Blue Jay Central on Sportsnet. Continue on Sportsnet 360. It's Tim and Friends on a Friday. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Get you to Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet in mere moments from now. The NHLPA and the IIHF have agreed to terms that would send the NHLers to Beijing for the Olympics. And that news earlier today sent all hockey folks at all stations across Canada scrambling to come up with mock rosters for Canada's entry into the Olympics, including the folks at Sportsnet.ca. However, all these hockey guys are at their cottage. So Chris Johnson <laughs> posted one on February in February, and we decided to repurpose that one on Sportsnet.ca. And here's a look at what Chris Johnson had in February. And again, I don't want to be mean to Chris because I think some things have changed, yeah. Jesse, along the road. But let's take a look at uh, the roster that he had for Team Canada. The potential forwards were McKinnon, McDavid, Marner. Marshawn Crosby Bergeron, Uberdo, Point, Mark Stone, John Tavares, Sean Couturier, and Steven Stamkos. And he had Shifley as the extra forward, and then Matthew Barzell as the extra extra, who probably wouldn't dress. Uh, the seven defensemen that he had on his roster look like this. Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, Thomas Shabbat, Mick McCarr, Riley, Dougie Hamilton, Ekblad, and Bowen Byram was the guy, youngster, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, that he threw in, I think, for a little talking point. Uh, Carey Price, Jordan Bennington as the two goalies, and as Jesse and I are about to talk about, it seems weird that the defense and the goaltending isn't as strong as you normally would point to for Team Canada. Yeah, I think that that's where most fans are a little bit concerned. I think even with with CJ's forwards that he did in February, yeah. there's not a ton of debate about... There's a couple names here and there 
but it's largely the defensemen and the goalies. I think the big omission from February is Marc-Andre Fleury in that, obviously, Vezina Trophy winner, a guy who's been at a sub three goals against average for almost, I think, four years in a row now. Would you put him over Bennington? So I would put him over Bennington, yes. Um, but I, but I, it's a, kind of alarming the lack of depth in net yes. for Team Canada because it's still the same names that have been around forever. It's still Carey Price. It's still, for me, Marc-Andre Fleury. I know you have Bennington, and now a lot of people are hyping Darcy Kemper, too. You're going to get a chance yep. to see what he can do with the Colorado Avalanche. But that was a bit surprising. And then uh, with the defensemen, a lot of people are saying this is a little Leaf-centric and maybe replace Morgan Riley with a, a Jacob Chikrin or Jared Spurgeon. But again, like this is surprising to me that these are the names that, that we're going with. I, again, the, the forwards, uh, what would you do with Matt Barzell, for example? Right. Like that, that's he's, – he's one of those guys that I think people are looking at. And if you're looking for – a theme of speed and skill, why is Matthew Barzell an extra? Why isn't he on the roster instead of someone who, say, like a John Tavares or a Steven Stamkos, if you're going for speed and, and skill? Yeah, I think one of the themes, if you're going to use that word here, is obviously the defense. And, and Troy wrote in and said, our D looks weak compared to past Canadian teams. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the parts of the equation in those themes is the older players. So Tavares, Stamkos, Drew Doughty, um, there are a few names that were left out along the way that you normally would just throw in there and you wonder if um, they'll go that way. Uh, Also got this from Chris. Um, Actually, it's from Mike. Mike writes in and says, it'll be entertaining when Marner doesn't make it while being the third highest player in the NHL. Bye-bye, Dubas. To which Chris responded... With a Montreal Canadiens avatar, I might add, 0% chance he's not on the team. There are some interesting arguments about the skilled players because as you, as we all know, like there's got to be some spackle, some grout. And I think that that team that CJ put out there in February didn't have enough grit. For me, Darnell Nurse is a name that mm-hmm. is definitely in the mix on D, and if not, I don't mind putting Colton Pareko in there yep. just to hammer a couple of guys in and around the boards or in front of the net. Nurse can do that. He can take care of that. And if you put Drew Doughty on the team, he's got a little bit of that sandpaper in him. But to me, I don't know if Morgan Riley makes my team. Yeah, some people throwing out Jake Muzzin's name as well, just for the same reasons right. that I think you're talking about the Colton Parekos as well. The age is, is one thing that really sticks out for me when I look at this roster. The line that was so great in 2016 in the World Cup, the Crosby, Bergeron, Marshawn line. I mean, these guys are getting up there in age. And then you bring in the Tavares's, you bring in the Stamkos's. Like, suddenly that roster and their their average age is starting to get up there a little bit. And when you look at the other teams, like, the American team is much younger than the Canadian team will be. And I don't know if that's necessarily in such a short tournament. I'm not sure how much it matters because it's not you know you're not playing for a month you're playing for just a a short little couple weeks but definitely that's something that caught my eye originally because this this roster is is getting older uh without question and you're going to be dealing with with playing against teams like the u.s that are young and super super skilled Mm -hmm. it's uh i mean there's some names out there eric's writing in said how about taves uh that's another one of the older guard uh, John writes in and says, uh, how about Rob Zamner? <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Like the reference. 
you know the show. Thank you very much for jumping in. For me, for me, it's Darnell Nurse, Mark Andre Fleury, Darcy Kemper. Yes, those are the names that jump out at me. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Bo Horvat. But I think that Shifley and Stone give you those skill guys that can still bring some physicality, yes. some grit. Because Ryan O'Reilly is a name that you would throw in there. Yeah. And, and I will say this: there's a lot of Habs fans writing in. And I would give this some time based on how the start of the season goes. But Suzuki's a pretty talented player that does a lot of things really well. Can play center, can play the wing. And sometimes you just need that skill guy that can move anywhere. This is always the decision that the management is going to have to make. One thing is how youthful do you want to go? And the next thing is, is how much grit do you really think you need in a tournament that's two weeks like this. I mean, everybody is going to have this, you know, they're all NHL guys for the most part. Um, so you get into a, a pickle. Do you decide to take the best player that you can possibly take, or do you go with the grit? And I, I look at the U.S. roster, and, and I know you wanted to bring this up quickly, just, just because when we look at the betting odds, the U.S. is the second favorite. Canada is still favored at minus one, 125. U.S. is plus 350. But just listen to the D core for the U.S., okay? And, yeah. and Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones, Quinn Hughes, John Carlson, Adam Fox, Norris Winter, Charlie McAvoy, Tory Crew, Jacob Slavin. Yeah. And to me, like, those are pretty much eight of the strongest young up-and-coming defensemen in the NHL. With a little bit of everything mixed in, yes. too, right? Like, it's not just a puck-moving defenseman. Yeah. It's not just a little bit of both. Uh, toughness and skill. Right. They got a great combination of all that. Then you add Matthews and some of their skill guys, Kane, like they got. Totally. This could be a team to be like, plus 350 might be some value on the Yeah, we can, bring, we can bring up the betting odds. So right now, Canada minus 125. This is on Sports Interaction. USA plus 350. Sweden and Russia, the next two, uh, basically uh, plus 500 and Russia 550. Finland plus 800. So I think in, no what's, Denmark, what, uh, what sticks out here mm-hmm. to me is, is that in previous years, you'd think that Canada would be an overwhelming favorite. Well, I just, I, honestly, like, and I don't make the odds for sports interaction, but I believe that those odds are based on that. Yes. Like those odds, if you project the teams, I would think that you would have the United States closer to Canada. Yes, I, I agree. And uh, McDavid said also when he was talking about this team, hopefully I make it. Yeah. I think he's going to make it, yeah. and they're going to need him to perform because there's some other good teams in the Olympics. Don't forget too. the Americans have goaltending, too. Yeah, it's crazy. Hellebuck. All right, time to send you good. to Blue they're Central. They're scary. I'm nervous. Blue Jay Central coming up on Sportsnet. Jamie, Ben, Arden. That's right, at the letters with Jamie Campbell standing by as the Jays open up a series with the A's. As for us, we will continue with our AFC West preview as Rich Gannon joins us back in 60 seconds on Sportsnet 360. If you're watching the Jays, please enjoy responsibly. This is Tim and Friends continuing on Sportsnet 360. Thanks for making the flick with us. And if you're already here, hey, good to have you along. Uh, we continue previewing our NFL season. Listen, we're going division by division, day by day. Our last AFC division today, the West. Lately, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have dominated this division to the tune of a 26-4 and record over the last five years. But the Chargers have a young, exciting QB. The Broncos 
might only be a QB away from challenging for the best in the West. There's no doubt the Chiefs rightfully have their eyes on something bigger than just a division title, but if they slip up, might be a couple teams ready to strike. Here's Anthony Caminetti. The Buccaneers have beaten the defending champion Chiefs 31-9. to This was a dominating performance across the board. Yeah, there's no other way to say it. The Chiefs got smoked last February. Not even the great Patrick Mahomes can shake a bad offensive line, as we learned. While the Chiefs address that need, and in a big way. Does Mahomes have enough around him to avenge their Super Bowl loss? Meanwhile, the Chargers have been all about the good vibes here in training camp. I like your vibe. Your vibe fires me up. I woke up today really excited to watch you run around. New head coach Brandon Staley brings enthusiasm, while new offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi brings an imaginative offense. That should go nicely with a super talented defense that welcomes back former All-Pro Derwin James. Can the Chargers give the Chiefs a run for their money in this division, or is Mahomes just simply too good? I am inevitable. The Broncos have a new quarterback. No, it's not Aaron Rodgers. Jeez, remember that? It's Teddy Bridgewater who beat out Drew Locke for the job. The team around him is quite good, but they might live to regret passing on Justin Fields and Mac Jones in the draft. Time will tell with that one. And there's only one thing to do when discussing the Raiders. Why, it's checking in on isgrudengoneyet.com, of course. Yikes. Yeah, we're entering year four of the new Gruden era and have yet to see a winning season. They're hoping a retooled offensive line and further development on defense will finally lead to some success. Pressure's on here, Chucky. Hey, listen, in the morning now, let's get your motors running. Are we clear on that? It's a simple question for these teams. Can anyone stop the Chiefs from a sixth straight division crown? Probably not, but joining the fray to discuss exactly how the West will be won is a man who not only won it, was also an MVP. That's right, kids. Former NFL MVP, Tim and Friends' favorite, Rich Gannon, joining us from Indianapolis. Rich, been too long. How are you, man? Tim, I'm doing great, brother. I am so fired up for the start of the 2021 season. You and me both. I, I was I was giddy like a like a father watching his child graduate from high school earlier in the show. Let's start here in the West with the favorites. And as you heard Anthony Caminetti say, uh, everyone's challenging the Chiefs for the division title. I feel like they are head and shoulders above the rest. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I think you're right. I think it starts with the the quarterback and head coach combination. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the best player in the league, certainly at that position. You look at his production, his consistency. And of course, Andy Reid doesn't get enough credit, Tim. Not, not just the fact that he's the head coach, but he's the primary play caller. He does a great job, I think, putting together a package of plays that not only Mahomes can operate and, and function in, but he, he doesn't he, – he, he does a great job not – discouraging his ability to freelance and to create offense. And I think that's one of the strengths of him. You look at the the, the talent they have around him. You look at Tyreek Hill, of course, Travis Kelsey. They can run the football. And the best thing that they did this offseason was to address the issues that, that came up and really bit him in the rear end in the Super Bowl. Yeah. The offensive line wasn't good enough. They went out and got Orlando Brown. They made a couple of good draft picks. They have rebuilt the offensive line. 
in front of Patrick Mahomes. So I was on this tear last year about uh, Travis Kelsey maybe already being the greatest tight end that I've ever seen. And earlier on the show, Nate Burleson and I were talking about the greatest receiver in the game, and I asked him flat out. He said it was Stephon Diggs. Uh, I lean towards Devontae Adams. He likes Devontae Adams. And then I just flat out said, could Travis Kelsey be the best receiver in the game? And he said yes. Like, it's what he does on the field in that offense is not just tight end-like. It is game-changer-like. It is. He, he is. He's really unstoppable. I, I think it's their ability to move him around in the formations with different personnel yeah. groupings. You know, he's not always lined up as an inline tight end. They put him in the slot. They put him outside the numbers. They do a great job creating mismatches. You can't put a safety on him. You can't put a linebacker on him. You put your best cover corner on him, and he still finds a way to create separation. I just think he's a unique player. He runs routes as if as if he were a wide receiver. He's got the length that you love at that position. He's got good change of direction skills, and he's so productive down in the red zone. You look at, and I think it's the relationship between Mahomes and Kelsey on third down, down the red zone. When they need a critical play, that's usually the first place that Patrick Mahomes looks. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, let's move on from the Chiefs for a second. And Brandon Staley, Jesse and I were doing our sports interaction picks a couple days ago, and I was looking at Kevin Stefanski for coach of the year because I think the Browns might be taking the jump this year. Uh, but Staley was the odds-on favorite to win coach of the year and I found that really interesting either they're betting on him or they're betting on this team to be pretty good do do you see the same thing here I think so I mean look I think a lot of these owners it's a copycat league so you look at you know what happened with Kevin Stefanski you look at Sean McVay a couple years ago they want to go out and find this young up-and-coming coordinator that's got the ability to take over and, and and be a great leader on a football team I think Staley can be that type of player or coach and I think you look at their their their, their football team and it starts with the quarterback I mean I did a lot of Charger games last year and Justin Herbert is just so incredibly consistent I mean for a rookie last year to play at the level he did offensive rookie of the year he's such a you know he's a smart player Tim he was an acad three-time academic all-american at Oregon his brother is a medical student at Columbia University Uh, I mean, this is a smart family, and he picked up that system so fast. I think what was most impressive to me, a lot of the rookies we see, uh, you know, a lot of turnovers. We see the poor decision-making in critical situations. He took great care of the football. He was very productive down in the red zone in situational football, whether it was two-minute, third-down football. He's just a a really smart, intelligent player that knows what to do with the football. And for a guy his size, at 6'5", with 230 pounds, he's got very good mobility and escapability from the pocket. Without a doubt. All right, so the Broncos go with Teddy Bridgewater. What do you think their ceiling is? I think this team's in trouble. I really like Vic Fangio. I think he's a good football coach. He's really involved in the defense, as you know. Uh, But the problem is, and I had great conversations with him last year, they don't have the production and consistency that you need at that position. You know, they went with Locke last year, and he was a, an accident waiting to happen. He played his best football when the games were over late in the fourth quarter uh, during garbage time. They bring in Teddy Bridgewater. You know, Bridgewater is not the same player he was before the injury in Minnesota. He was a, a subpar player, in my opinion, last year in Carolina. He doesn't give you a lot of, uh, you know, uh, unscripted offense. And to me, I don't know there's a huge difference right now between Drew Locke, who has a little bit more mobility and lacks the experience, or a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. I think 
they're the worst team in that division. Hmm. Okay, so then let's talk about the Raiders because a lot of people feel like it's the Raiders. There's some pressure on a coach that you know pretty well and John Gruden to get things done this year. And to me, every time I watch them, I feel like they're better than their record suggests. And yet, as Bill Parcells once told us, you are what your record says you are. You're right. You know, John's been there three years. They've yet to have a winning season. They've yet to make the playoffs. And this is an important year, I think, for everyone in that organization. Uh, they made a lot of changes, Tim, on the defensive side of the ball. Their defense was unwatchable a season ago. And, you know, you look at their fourth quarter. They gave up 176 fourth quarter points, the most in football. Why? Because their inability to rush the passer. And they had just 15 takeaways last year, which was the third fewest in the league. They don't do a good enough job getting pressure on the quarterback and playing good tight coverage. So they went out and hired Gus Bradley, the, char- the Chargers defensive coordinator. They re- really have invested in their defensive line and in their secondary. I think this is a unit that, that can be a whole lot better in 2021. And remember now, they beat the Chiefs last year. They went on the road and beat Cleveland. Uh, they beat the New Orleans Saints on a Monday night early in the season. This team has plenty of firepower on offense. We talked about Travis Kelsey. Darren Waller yeah. may be the second best tight end in all of football. I mean, yep. this guy is incredible. Carr has been consistent. He's very accurate with the football. He makes good decisions. They've got some young receivers that need to step up. And, of course, they have Josh Jacobs, who I think is one of the best young backs in football. But it's all about the defense with the Raiders. If they can improve a little bit defensively, there's no reason why this team can't have a winning record and get back to the postseason. That might be one of those kids that if you're looking for a future bet down the road, Raiders on the over and wins, at least according to uh, Rich Gannon. All right, Rich, a lot of people are filling out or at least drafting their fantasy football teams right now, and they're always looking for that diamond in the rough. I'm always looking for that diamond in the rough. Give me, I don't care if it's a quarterback, I don't care if it's a receiver, a running back, or a tight end. Give me one guy that you feel like is on the verge of making a statement in this league and that could kind of change the balance for anyone out there drafting a fantasy football team. You know, I know he was hurt last year, but Joe Burrow really got mm-hmm. my attention, guys. I did a couple of their, their games early this season. I watched all of his snaps from college. Uh, I think the team is going to be better around him uh, on both sides of the football, and this guy has a, a ton of upside. He throws the deep ball really well. Uh, he's got better mobility than you give him credit for. Uh, he's very accurate. He's got some toughness to him. He's got a good young coach, in Zach Taylor, who's very involved, obviously, in the play calling. And I just think if they can get better around him, I think he can have a sensational season in a division. You look at Cleveland, I think Pittsburgh's going to take a step back. You know, the Ravens have some big injuries. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Cincinnati is going to be a, a playoff team this year, but I think Joe Burrow is going to put up some huge numbers. The, the only question I have, and I completely agree with you on your assessment of Burrow, only question, did they do enough for that offensive line to protect him enough to be able to do that damage? You know, it's a work in progress, and I think they've got to be smart with some of those players early. They've got to be able to run the football. They've got a really talented back. There's got to be a commitment to that. And they've got to – look, their defense – we talked about the Raiders' defense. Cincinnati was worse than the Raiders. I mean, they, they don't get off the field on third down. They haven't been able to stop the run. They don't create any negative plays. If he can get a little bit of help from the defense, we talk about the importance of complementary football. But, you know, I just think Joe Burrow has got a chance to be special. You look at those interceptions he threw just five and ten games last year. He's a smart player. He's a good decision maker. He's got some toughness. He's got some juice. He's got some swagger to him. 
I like Joe Burrow to put up some big numbers this year for the Bengals. I like talking football with Rich Gannon, and I can do it for hours. I love going through the X's and O's with you. Always appreciate you doing this with us, and hopefully we'll be able to catch up throughout the season. Tim, you're the best. See you, brother. Be well. There is uh, Rich Gannon, former NFL MVP and a great football mind. Time for one last break. We'll get to the best of the week winner. We'll do a little last call with my guy Jesse Rubinoff, and we'll do all of that next right here on Tim and Friends on Sportsnet 360. The show is called Tim and Friends, and you are our friends. So you've been voting for the best of the week winner at Tim and Friends on Twitter. Let's take a look at the results. Not surprising, our Twitter poll says that it is the council meeting that got pranked by those who have a certain affinity probably for Bart Simpson calling Moe's Tavern. Enjoy. That you do not pass this policy in Virginia. Thank you so much, Ms. Thomas. We do appreciate you. Phil McCracken. Phil McCracken. Eileen Dover. Eileen Dover. Wayne Kerr. <laughs> That's a good one. I Wayne Kerr. Don't be neither. That's new yeah. on me. Someone said that the referee at uh, yesterday's Canada-Honduras game was Wayne Kerr. Oh, nice. Very, very <laughs> soccer name, Wayne yeah. Kerr. Yes, Wayne Kerr. Uh, so that is our best of the week winner. We appreciate that you yeah. vote at Tim and Friends They're all good. each and every week. Blair Turnbull see- was like, that's tough competition. Like, What are you going to do? Yeah. It always seems like whenever we get to the ones that are just a little on the edge, those are the ones that yes. we Yeah. Yeah, that was that was an easy one to, to foresee, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's do last call, and let's begin with the one-year anniversary of one of the greatest moments in Toronto Raptors history, OG Ananobi's buzzer beater against the Celtics in Game 3 of their Eastern Conference semifinal series in the bubble. Hard to believe. That was two seasons ago already. What's your favorite part of this play, Tim? The pass. The pass, to me, from Kyle Lowry will forever be one of the most ridiculous things that I have ever seen in my life. I love our title, by the way. What about scarves? Um, <laughs> to go over, like, so Lowry's, what, six foot tops, right? Yes, yes. And even if he's six foot, we might be exaggerating a wee bit. Which is, which to go over Taco Fall, who is seven foot five, deliver a cross-court pass right into the shooter's pocket for OG Ananobi, who had 0.5 seconds on the clock to deliver this three-pointer. I don't know that I've ever seen a greater, more clutch pass than what Lowry did on that inbounds play. Everything about it is perfect, and that's why there's a million angles of it, and it's so much fun to keep watching. It's just, like, it's beautiful. It's poetry in motion. But interestingly enough, like, that play might not have happened if it wasn't in the bubble, because Lowry had a little extra room to operate there that... Maybe there would have been some fans sitting there. Oh, agreed. Uh, but nonetheless, we still have that moment for Raptors lore. Uh, forget Scarves, forget OG, forget um, Serge Ibaka. That is art. Yes, completely agree. Um, speaking of art, in case you haven't heard, which would be literally impossible, Drake's new album, Certified Lover Boy, <laughs> dropped this morning at 2 a.m. Eastern time. And Kawhi Leonard makes a 
hilarious, ridiculous, whatever you want to call it, cameo in the video for the track, Way Too Sexy. Mm -hmm. Does this make you think that one day, Kawhi, come back? No, this just makes me think that Drake <laughs> is a normal human being who respects uh, athletes as friends once he gets to meet them. Like, there is some people, and listen, my ex-co-host was one of those guys who just would never forgive Kawhi Leonard for not running it back with the Raptors, and I kind of sort of understand, but I wanted, I went to our Instagram and I asked if anyone was upset that Drake put him in the video, and nobody was upset. Everyone was just like, it's just, I mean, he met the guy, he likes the guy, obviously, he put him in a video, and it's kind of funny to me. It, it is funny. And it's surprising, too, that someone of Kawhi's personality, who likes to be so low-key, would be in a music video that's going to be seen, I don't know, like a trillion times. But it's got that Backstreet Boy, <laughs> like, tongue-in-cheek. Like, everything's so. tongue-in-cheek in the entire video. Oh, yeah. And having Kawhi Leonard there standing with his hands. Where do I put these? Okay, between that and Donda, have you ever seen uh, like an album? Have you ever seen more publicity for albums than this? Ever? No, I just, there's, there's, uh, this generation absolutely positively understands how to advertise themselves. Yeah. And Kanye West might be pre that generation, yes. but Drake is like the tip of the spear on this, and it's unbelievable the amount of publicity he got yeah. for dropping an album. Every big Twitter account, and frankly, every small Twitter account tweeting about it last night, oh. two in the morning. Yeah. Uh, okay, college football is back, and we gotta check out the crowd at today's North Carolina-Virginia Tech game. Oh my god. That is a full house, and that's 66,000 fans going nuts as the Hokies took the field to enter wow. Sandman. Now, these kind of scenes have been few and far between in the last two years. Is this encouraging, like, we like seeing these fans, or is this terrifying? Um, <laughs> I mean, your one. natural reaction at this point is terrifying. Yeah. However, I do know that there are a lot of universities that are mandating uh, vaccinations. I don't know what it is in Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, that's Virginia Tech, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Blacksburg, Virginia, I don't know if they've uh, mandated vaccinations or a negative, but it looks like the pandemic is over there. That's all I can say. And, and if they're double vaxxed and like there's a high, all of them are double vaxxed, then I'm with eventually, you. Yeah. I'm with you. It's like the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Shoulders. Yeah. Like you want to appreciate it, but also like yeah. oh, we're still Even, in the I, pandemic. I, I don't know if I'm very paranoid about this pandemic. Like yeah. I think at the start I was a little bit. Since then I've eased. I went to Canada, Honduras yesterday, and they're like several awkward moments where I'm like. Do I take this mask off? I'm outside. Like, all of these things running through your head. It was like I was back in public for real yeah. for the first time. Yeah. It was kind of awkward. So kind of just seeing that makes you feel good until you realize maybe they, it's not the best. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, okay, one more I just want to get to quickly. There's four Canadians through to the third round of the U.S. Open. Yep. Tonight, Leila Fernandez will take on defending champ Naomi Osaka on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Four remaining. You know who they are. How many will remain when we're back here on Monday? Oh, on Monday. I think it opens up. I think we got three. I think, I think obviously, Leila Annie Fernandez, that's a tough draw. But I think the other three can get through. Um, and I'm yeah. trying to do the... Felix faces Roberto Bautista Agu, yeah, Dennis Shapovalov against Lloyd Harris, and Bianca against South Greekman. Can take, like, the South Africans rank Lloyd Harris is like, I think, 58th in the world. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think that there's an opportunity here for three Canadians to still be in the draw when we come back yeah. on Monday. They have some serious momentum going. Yeah, it up a little bit. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. That's it for us. As we leave you, let's take a look back at the week that was on the show, as we always do. 
on a Friday. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you on Labor Day Monday. That's right. We're working Labor Day. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Talk to you again on Monday. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? It's Friday then. It's Friday, Sunday. What? It's I can think of stranger things, like this woman arguing with her French bulldog. Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dan yes. has won the coveted Reed Family Championship, and we've seen a video of Dr. Dan in the bunker before, and let's just say it didn't go well. But this time out, and this is, I guess, the reason why Kenny posted this. I love how we credited Dr. Dan, good form, takes it back, nice gets dad. a great amount of sand, and gets it out. Couldn't be a more eloquent, decent man, unlike his son. <laughs> I was just reading the praise for some of my work on the back uh, cover of my book. I think we confiscate this oh, trophy. No. Oh my goodness. I don't, I don't know what we do to this trophy. <gasps> if you just lost to your you dad. Be careful with that. If you just lost to your dad, Ken Reed, <laughs> this trophy. He used to fight with my co-host all the time. But to me, it, it ended up feeling like Logan Paul fighting Jake Paul. I'm not sure who I wanted to see get knocked the bleep out more. Which Paul am I? <laughs> I, I, I want to be Rich Paul these days, not yeah, even hey, Jake Paul. There you go. Anyways, <laughs> I got uh, BlackBerry. I got BBM. So you do not have a BlackBerry. You and Masai. That's it, man. What are you talking about? Are you serious? What do you, what do you think this is? What? <laughs> Does that work? Do you have Brick Breaker? Can you still play Brick Breaker? Uh, no, we got Snake on this one. <laughs> no, man. Come on, man. I don't know what I like better, the Blackberry or the Drapes, my dude. Uh, those are quality Drapes. We are, we are going to take a break. I'm what? coming at studio. <laughs> what? what the hell am I Kenny. hearing in my ear? What is that? Kenny, Kenny, it's Ken Reed calling from Canada, down in Inverness, Nova Scotia. How you doing, buddy? What are you doing on my phone? I went into Dr. Dan's basement on this trip home and found more Ken Reed golf hardware. So it's coming back to the studio, baby. I can't wait. And by I can't wait, I mean I can. I'm too sexy for this chain. Too sexy for your game. Too sexy for this fame. Yeah, yeah. I'm too sexy for the trap. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.